Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you with me this morning to turn in your Bibles. We're going to dive right in. Let's do that. We're going to go to one of the minor prophets. His name is Haggai. Everybody say Haggai. Haggai. Some pronounce it a little bit different. Haggai. We're going to go to chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 4. Haggai chapter 2. This is your advantage is if you actually do have a device this morning and you type in Haggai 2 because sometimes that's a tough one to find if you are trying to flip through your Bible. It's a, it's a chapter. It's a book that you can go through so easily because it's so small. Haggai, he's one of the prophets. And yet it's interesting. The commentators refer to him as much as a pastor as a prophet. A prophet, of course, received, back in that day, the word of the Lord would go through prophets to the people. Uh, the Spirit of God, Christ had not risen and the Spirit had not been breathed upon the church. And so the Spirit would come upon persons at time. They were probably they'd give a prophetic message. And, but Haggai, normally prophets just kind of the message is raw. But Haggai was kind of like a pastor. He, he gave the message, and he gave it. You feel him struggle in giving the message because he, he refused to give it in its rawness. He wanted to make sure they were encouraged. And you see the pastoral heart coming out. Be encouraged, and here's how God will help you with the message. And so you see the heart. You're going to see that if you read through this text. I was not going to. If you asked me a week ago where I was going today, it was, I was going a different direction. But this week, in my readings I came to Haggai, and I've always enjoyed Haggai because it's such an easy-to-understand book. Some of the prophets just kind of go, huh? There's so much metaphor to it. You're just, huh? I don't get it. You know, it's just like out there in, in la-la land. But not Haggai. <laughs> he's, he's easy to understand. I really like the way he brought this message down. Prophecy, this was a prophecy for his day, as is typical of the prophecies of the Old Testament. But it carries a truth for a time to come. And the truth to a time to come, it is timely today. November, what's today? 21st, 2021. I think it's as timely today as it was then. It speaks to us, and so let's let it do that. Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. Follow along with me. But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. One of my favorite names. Declares the Lord, be strong, Joshua or Yeshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work. For I, the Lord, I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And in the text today, I want you to see how many times God refers to himself exclusively here as the Lord Almighty. There's always reason. Number Verse 5, this is what I covenanted with you when you first came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says in a little while. I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by the nations? Listen to this. Let me back it up. Verse 6 again. Let's do that again. Do you see? Do you see? Today's fulfillment of some of this? This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. Declares what? The Lord Almighty. In other words, he can do it. He can do it. Title of what I'm sharing this morning, I'm taking from verse 4. Anytime anything is repeated in Scripture, it's their way of shouting it out. Obviously, in writing, you can't scream. I mean, you, you read it, you can't hear it, you're reading it. So the way they get it across with intensity is they repeat it. Uh, they don't capitalize, that wasn't their style. They repeat it. And so the re repetition here, be strong, be strong. He's shouting it out. He says, 
you got to be strong. you got to be strong. So, Father in heaven, help us to understand how this prophecy relates to us. In your almighty name we pray. Amen. Haggai. Haggai, his name means festive. And I thought I could run with that, but I really couldn't run with it. It really didn't. I went back to a number of commentators and I thought, oh, yes, this is the season of festivities. But it really had nothing to do with that. So I was, okay. So his name simply means festive. Now, when he gives a word like he does today, you're not always thinking festive. Haggai, the book, is the second smallest book of the Bible. You put the two chapters together, it lines up 38 verses. It's an easy read. You can do it. You can do it in one sitting. I've never done this, but if you were to travel to the British Museum of London and visit room 55, you would find the Cyrus Cylinder. I have a picture of it here. The Cyrus Cylinder dates back from the 6th century B.C. and has been on display at the museum since 1880. That's a long time. It measures only 9 inches by 4 inches. The cylinder is very small and it is filled with the Akkadian cuneiform writing, which is purportedly the earliest known writing system. It's writings on all sides. This particular writing uh, tells of the Persian army invasion of Babylon. It also tells of the great deeds of Cyrus, the emperor Cyrus. Where you, if you want to, if you want to actually learn more, you can look to the Bible. Because the Bible also records a lot of Cyrus's deeds. If you turn in your Bibles, and you don't do it now, but it's a good read, Ezra. Another easy read. He was a scribe, and he scribed. Ezra chapter 1, the first four verses, exclusively devoted to Cyrus. Cyrus was well respected. Cyrus was appointed by God in many ways. He had deep respect for religious traditions of other people. He respected people. And we see this when he allowed the deported people, the Jewish people that had been deported to Babylon, his great kingdom, but he wasn't threatened by that. He said, it's time to go home, guys. I mean, that's a miracle. Because the threat of them building another kingdom to take again, it's time to go home, guys. And so he allowed the people to go back to Israel. The Jews had been conquered. Their homes had been destroyed almost 70 years to the date. They had lived in almost 70 years in a foreign land, in the land of their enemies, in exile. So they had developed commerce. They had taken on the customs of the land. They began to live, and they were told to live. If you read the book of Daniel, you have another picture of the time that we're talking of right here. Where Daniel, in the book of Daniel, it's like, okay, you've got to make a living people. You've got to be a blessing in the land of difficulty. Good lesson for us today. Sometimes we just wait for the great by and by. But the Lord has called us to prosper here in this land. We are to bring blessing to this land. And so were the children of Israel to the land of Babylon, their enemies. They were to live. They were to grow. Not just at survival, but they were to be a people to bring prosperity. And so they had been doing that for almost 70 years. There was a generation, and then a third generation was being born now after almost 70 years. Here you have this, this, this time in which when they were taken out of their homeland, uh, their city had been destroyed. They had held out for a little bit of time. They resisted the prophets earlier to Haggai who had said, if you just surrender, God has actually given you over to your enemy because you've turned away from me. But they wouldn't listen. They said, oh no, we will, we will survive. And they didn't. Their walls were torn down, the city was demolished, and the great temple, Solomon's great temple, the temple we talked of a few weeks ago, an opulent temple, a temple that cost billions to build in today's money. Massive temple. It was arguably, probably the greatest wonder of a man-made wonder of the world at that time. Seven years in building, it was totally destroyed. And off they went to Babylon. You have a picture kind of, a, of what the temple was here you see in front of you. 
And they were told by Cyrus, go back home. They were invited to return. And they were invited to go back. And God was saying, go back and build a place of worship. And build this place of worship so the people once again can worship God. However, not everybody wanted to go home. As the time passed, they discovered hardly anybody wanted to go. They had become comfortable in the land of exile. They had been comfortable in the world that they had moved to. I mean, it was now second, third generation. The older generation was hesitant to go back. Uh, they felt they were too old. Their time was past. The next generation after them, well, they had friends. They had family. They had built up business. And their life was now going to be disrupted. And many did not want to return. And, of course, the third generation, the young ones, they weren't sure of it either. Why would we go back and have to start all over again? Why would we bother? And so very few actually went back, but some did. They tended to be maybe of the poorer ones, the ones that really felt, well, there's not a whole lot I'm leaving here, so I'll go back and have a new beginning. It's kind of like those who settled in North America a few centuries ago. We haven't got a whole lot here, so let's just start afresh. Let's just start afresh. A, a small number went back to do what God had called them to do. And there's a couple things. I want to start this story off because it kind of does get heavy here in a second. I want to start off, there's a couple really good things they did. It started, first of all, they were in the right place. They returned with zeal to build God's house. Many leaving friends and family, their comforts behind, to be again a people, a God's people, a people of worship. And secondly, they were doing a right work. The, what they were doing was right. They were building a place of worship. They were to go back and they were to again call on the name of the Lord. They were to build up his kingdom. I mean, if it weren't going to come through these people, where was it going to come through? This was the people that they were calling that they would be the light of that day. And so they needed to give attention to it. So they went back, a remnant went back, rolled up their sleeves, and got to work. You have to appreciate there were some needs when they got back into Israel. There were some needs. They, they needed to make a living, so they needed houses. And so they constructed some simple living homes. Their children, what about their children? They needed schools, and so they needed to set up a school-type system. They needed shops. They needed trade, commerce. But their first priority, their first priority, God says, their first priority, build a place of worship. Go back and build the place of worship. Ezra tells that they collected more than 18 million in gold. Equivalent today, 18 million in gold. Just gold alone. They had other things. 18 million in gold alone to help build the place of worship. So they didn't go back empty-handed. They went back with the means to get this underway. And it started well. Now here's where the story takes the turn. Here's where the whole purpose of Haggai, the prophet, speaking a word from the Lord to the people. Here's what the word. Three problems now happen. Three problems. And I'm going to suggest these very, these very same three problems are the same three problems today. Three problems. Three problems. And Haggai just doesn't give the three problems, but he gives the three solutions. Here they are. Problem number one, disinterest. So we pick it up again, Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Let's read again. This is what the sovereign Lord says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Can everybody say that together? The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Let's do it one more time. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Okay, that's going to be a key part. We're going to come back to that. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the house of the Lord, remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but aren't warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down tim timber. And build my house. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. 
Verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. You brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house, therefore, because of you, and this is a heavy right here, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Four times in these 38 short verses, Haggai calls out, consider your ways. I often read and use the New Living Version, and it says it this way, look what's happening to you. Four times he said, look what's happening to you. And then he talks a bit longer and he says, look what's happening to you. And then he goes a bit farther, look what's happening to you. It's a statement to say, stop, take inventory. Don't keep going. Slow it down, stop, look around. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's happening? Something's not right. Stop, take careful inventory. Stop, look what's happening. Reflect. And here's what the discovery was. They had stopped working on building the house of the Lord. Not a few weeks, not a few months, not even just a few years. 18 years had gone by. 18 years. The purpose, the primary purpose of coming back was to build the house of the Lord so they could worship again. To begin to be a people of worship to the nations. That was their primary. That was the one big thing to come back home to. That's who God covenanted with them. But... Now for 18 years, dead stopped. It wasn't happening. For 18 years, they were making excuses. Excuse after excuse. And this is where Haggai said, stop, do you hear yourself? Just stop. Listen to what's happening. You have been making excuses for your failure to complete what you began. Verse 3 really asked the big question. The big question is this. God was asking. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains ruined? Hmm. That's always hit me. Because I'm thinking, first of all, I really don't like panel houses to start with. Okay. You know, panel was yesterday. It was 70s, right? Um, how many of you, if you've got panels, by the way, if you have panels, I'm not judging you. But um, most of us try to get rid of them and put some nice drywall, or if nothing else, you paint over them, because it is a 70s thing. I mean, I used to like it back then. But it's not about the panel houses. What he's saying, my New Living Translation says it this way, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Why are you living in luxurious houses? Luxurious houses. That was the point. Why are you living in your luxury? While kingdom has stopped. You see, the people were using the resources. Remember, they brought 18 million worth of just gold alone back with them. And they had started, but now they were using resources to now look after their own needs. The people had started just using their own resources, and uh, they were using it. And even the harvest, when they plant, they were using it for their self. They, they hadn't done what they were supposed to be doing. They had repurposed God's provisions and gifts. And with it, they were paneling, they were, they were upgrading their homes. They were upgrading their living. They were upgrading, they were expanding their fields. They were buying horses. They were buying more oxen. They were bettering their carts, their wagons. They were preparing and bettering their lifestyle. They were upgrading their lifestyle in beautiful living spaces. That's what it was saying. Now, they were America people. The whole miracle of them even coming back in the first place is a God thing. For God to move the heart of Cyrus to say, go home. And by the way, go, here, here's some money. Go back and build your cities. That's a miracle. That's a huge, you are a covenant of people. You need to go back. For them to be, for, for Cyrus to recognize that in a short 70 years from the time they were, 70 years before, it was never believed they would ever return. But they did. And that's a miracle. And the miracle of a people of God, the miracle, if you would, of their salvation is a miracle. Huge miracle. 
And their lives were lives of miracle. And to recognize that they were a living miracle. God was moving in them back into a place where the kingdom of God would be established and great things would take place. But somehow, in the early days, they forgot that all this belongs to the Lord. They somehow forgot that. And God was asking them to stop. Take a hard look at what's happening to them. He says, look what's happening to you. Or consider your ways. Literally, set your heart on your ways. And on top of that, the people were, when they were in this place of return, and they had begun to do the work, and then they quit for 18 years. 18 years they had quit. And not only was this taking place, but the people were using their poverty as an excuse not to do the work of the kingdom. Now follow with me. They were saying, we're poor. We don't have much. Uh, we have nothing to offer. They were using their poverty. Uh, we're barely getting by. I, I can't be about the business of the kingdom. I can barely get by here. They were using their food shortages as an excuse. Um, we, we, we're, we don't have much food. We don't have much in our barns. We need to expand. We need to plant more. We need to do more. And that became an excuse. Listen, we can't, we can't build the kingdom because um, we need to expand our fields right now. And they were using uh, inflation. Inflation had spiked. They were the new people back into the nation again. And these became excuses for not doing the kingdom. I put this note up here for you to read this morning. God was not denying any of them homes and comfortable lifestyles. But the people had made the secondary their primary focus. And actually, today's economist calls this diminishing returns. And originally, that was my title. And then I thought, nah, I'm gonna, that's too negative. And so I pulled that title out. But it's a huge point, diminishing returns. They had made the secondary their primary. God wants you to have a home. God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to live in blessing, prosperity. But not as our primary purpose. Our secondary purpose. Primary? There's a kingdom. This world is passing away. These clothes will rot. My car is already rotting. The home is losing value in one way. It's this world is passing away. But there is an eternal. There's lives for heaven. There is eternal kingdom building where families and, and communities, villages, communities, nations for the kingdom. That's eternal. And so the comparison was here that God was not denying any of them their homes and comfortable lifestyles. He wants that. But the people had made the secondary, their primary focus. And diminishing returns. Diminishing returns. This is where you place your investments in areas that cannot build true equity. So it's never going to prosper you. You're never going to get ahead. Their excuse in verse 4, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. We said that together earlier. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Even, in, even ignoring the miracle of God's miraculous salvation of sending them back, the time's not right, they said. The time's not right. I was... Um, Impressed. Somebody just a few days ago sent a link to me of a neighboring pastor here in the community. And just a couple of weeks ago, he has a, just a short little video clip. And I watched this, and, and, and he just, it was my heart as well. The pastor went and he sat down on the front few steps. It was on a Sunday morning, I would guess. And, and he basically was saying, he said, uh, it's been almost two years, people with this pandemic, and he looked right into the cameras, and he says, it's time to come back. It's time to come back. He says, we have formed habits here, that habits have begun to set in place, and he says, we, we take all the protocols, we take everything serious, we will come back, we'll come back safe, but it's time to come back. And he talked about the habits, and, and how that after a while, we begin to justify not coming back. Justify not being kingdom builders. We begin to justify. And, and I was listening to that and my mind immediately flew to something that just happened. It so was relational to me. A couple of weeks ago, Lori and I were able to get away for a couple of weeks vacation. Now let me just pause that. Uh, I have a mother. She's 97 years old. She lived with us. We looked after her for over five years. She's in a nursing home now. 
And when she went into the nursing home, we took personal responsibility as her son, personal responsibility to make sure she would be looked after. And so the nursing home, yes, they look after her. There's a great nursing home. Uh, but we, it's important, and we, we would visit her every week just to go and encourage, and there was things we needed to do on her behalf. And then I got on the phone, and, and, and family members, you know, come on, go visit, make sure we're there on a regular basis. And then some of my, you know, my own children, make sure you connect with her, visit her on a regular basis. And then her own siblings and people, extended family, to kind of make that connection. And we were faithful going down into the city every week, and and. Was it an obligation? Yes. Was it a responsibility? Yes. But it's a part of who we are. It's, it's what we do. And so we did it, and we did it faithfully every single week, even so much that the day before we went on vacation, and it was so busy a time, but to take a few hours and just to go and visit again. Every week, make sure, make sure you encourage her, and then call in between times. So we were gone a couple of weeks. Couldn't do that. When we came back, of course, we had to come back into the country. And so we chose to step away and not visit for 14 days. And here's what happened. I discovered this. Just, just, just discovered this. It was really hard to get back to visiting her again. As a matter of fact, when I came back home, I, a couple of days went by before I even called her. That would never have happened. There was an urgency before we left. But when I came back home, it was um, time just, it, it wasn't so urgent anymore. Other things now were more occupying my thoughts and my passions. And because I had stepped away, what do they say about habits that are formed? When you step away, it's easy to form. They say six weeks form a habit. I don't know the magic number. You know, I don't think you can mark it off on the calendar. But as you pull away, it is that much harder. And I know it was for, I mean, this is my own mom. That when it came time to go and visit, it was, it was so easy not to do it. Go back a month ago. Wouldn't even cross my mind. But let me just be separated for a little period of time. And it's so easy not to do it. Then just expand that a little bit longer. So when this pastor was looking into the cameras and saying, it's time to come back and be the church. To build the kingdom of God and the community that we're in. It's time to work together. It's time to join together in unity of spirit. It's time to do the work of service to one another. It's time to get back. And this is a picture, because here was the question, verse 2. They were saying, it's not time. Where'd you come up with this, they said? Well, we're struggling. Poverty, we're struggling. We're struggling with our, with our uh, food. We're, we're inflation is high. And they had excuses. That's what they said, verse 2. And I was going, oh, that sounds familiar. It's not time, they said. So I asked the question, is it time to do God's work? Naturally speaking, right now, naturally speaking, economic time couldn't be worse in our nation. Credit cards, and I was just looking this up, credit cards are defaulting left and right. Payments are not being able to be made. Inflation right now is at its highest point in 20 years. It's now pushing towards 5%. Our economy has gone from what it was two years ago to now more than doubled in its debt. And in the next year, if we do not curb the spending, we will triple our debt in three years. Who would have ever thought? Our dollar is weak. The international credit rating of Canada has just dropped another point in this past couple of years. Red ink is as high as the bank's walls. In the next few years, it's predicted multiple nations will be facing bankruptcy as their economics cannot handle this. We know of mortgage fraud, job losses everywhere. Surely we agree we are living in economic hard times. Almost 42% of our children are growing up in low-income homes. Yet, yet we are on record to spend more on our homes than ever in the history of our nation. More luxury homes have been sold in the last two years while poverty is over here of not having enough. More cottages have been purchased. RVs have been purchased. They say now that one in 11 homes, families, have storage units in order to store because they can't get it into their houses. So they're storing it for another day. Drive by the car lots and Sparse pickings. Not just because 
there's computer chips in Asia that still have to be made, but because they're a hot item. Luxury cars are the hottest item. And used cars have been sold out in many places. So here you have that this difficult economic times, and at the very same times, we're doing pretty good. It was said, and you probably heard it, never have the savings been higher in the banks. More money's been going in because less has been used in areas of our economy. You have difficult times pushing then on the other end luxury, storing our goods. That uh, It says that this has been a 75% increase in the last number of years. Yesterday's luxury has become today's necessity. So I go back to Haggai. I'll put this note up. Here it's in front of you. God was not denying of them, any of them, homes for themselves. He was asking that they prioritize the building of his house and thereby trust him for the building of theirs later. Do you see that part? Prioritize the building of his kingdom and then trust him. Yours will get looked after. Start with his. And the blessing will flow to yours. I see this principle found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus said it. So do not worry what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. For the pagans run after these things. Note that. The pay, this is what they go after. When they wake up in the morning, this is what they're thinking about. This is their pursuit throughout the day. This is where their checks are being written towards. This is where they pour their energy. The pagans run after. The pagans, the, the non-church, the unbeliever, run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows you need a place. He knows you need those things. Here's the focus, verse 33. But here's what, seek first, make first. Same principle back to Haggai. Make first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will follow. They'll be given to you. We call it the first fruit giving. I call it the first of the tithe. I call it the beginning of what my first energy, my effort of the day. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus. My first effort, what can I do for the kingdom today? Who can I serve? My first effort is when I receive whatever I receive in pay that is given me. I take that first part and I say, for kingdom building, first for you, Lord. Because if I don't, the rest cannot be blessed. The rest cannot be blessed. And so when I give the first, all these things will be added unto you. But if I switch it around and say, no, I'll look after that and I'll get back to you, God. He says, I actually can't bless it. He doesn't bless it. We come to this part where it says, I have notes again. When God's people fail to heavily invest in building the kingdom purposes, that very measure constricts God's ability to bless you in your needs, in your returns. We see it in Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought of your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you don't have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Verse 9, you expect much, but see, it turns out, you think you're going to get ahead. You think it makes sense if you do this. You expect this is the way to go. You really do. But he says, this is where you give careful thought. Slow it down. Take a look. Take a look. What you brought home, I blew away. Who blew it away? God. Wasn't it the devil? I blew it away. Why? Because of my house. It remains ruined. While each of you is building your own house. I don't know if any of you have treadmills. We have a treadmill. I'm sure if my great-great-grandma ever saw or grandpa ever saw me on the treadmill, they would shake their head and just about double up and die. Running, 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 running to go nowhere, right? It's a fairly new concept, and I don't think anything of it now. I run like crazy on that treadmill, and I'm going nowhere. At the end of my time, I haven't made any progress. And treadmills are like that. That's the design of a treadmill. A lot of energy going nowhere. That's the picture here. All the efforts of building, of doing it for themselves, <sighs> blown away because I can't bless it. Because you've made the secondary first and you made what was meant to be the first, the second. And therefore, there can't be a train of blessing. Right? They can't bless it. And uh, so 
all our efforts of building our own kingdom can never produce lasting results. Let me take it. I mean, that's the first problem. Disinterest. They said, time's not right. Time's not right. And yet, just similar, boy, the comparison. Poverty, huge luxury. So second problem Haggai was dealing with, and the problem was discouragement. It's a problem of discouragement. After the people agreed to get back in the game, committing themselves to the result, to resuming the kingdom building, they committed. They said, yes, okay, I get it. I get it, God. Stop, enough. It took 20, I found this interesting, it took 23 more days before they actually started building it again. 23 more days. They said, yes, we'll do it. 23 days passed. I'm sure Haggai was thinking, oh, not this again. They say yes, and they do no. 23 days later, but they did start. They did for one more month. And then enthusiasm waned, and they quit again. We pick it up in Haggai chapter 2 this time, verse 1. Follow with me. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Now, note that um, uh, Zerubbabel's the leadership, represents leadership. Uh, you have uh, Sheltiel represents ministry, and then everybody else. The three different groups of people. Verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Verse 4, and this was our text. But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. And note this next part. And get back to work. Be strong and work. Be strong, work. Be strong and work. For I, who's the I? Lord Almighty. I'm with you. You're not going it alone. Verse 5, this is what I covenanted to you. And when God makes a covenant, he never breaks his covenant. I covenanted to you with you when I came, when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Don't be afraid. And so, with, of course, enthusiasm, they returned back. They began to build the place of worship. And, of course, the inevitable happened. Some of the older people who were a part of the group, some of the returned exiles, who had seen the original temple... 70 years before, while they were just probably kids. All the glory, remember that, that former temple of Solomon? It was glorious. It was glorious, opulent to the, to the nine. It was gorgeous. They began to compare. They began to compare. Beloved, there's a big problem when we start comparing. We can't compare. We can't compare to the days gone by. Yes, the revival. I was a part of that revival. I was a part of this church. There was a move of God there. Or we pick up books and we begin to compare back to books. And I think they could be a source of inspiration. But beware of compare. Beware of comparing. Comparing to yourself to the one next to you in town. Comparing yourself to the one on television. Comparing to the one that you grew up in. Comparing. And so this is what began to happen. Problem number two. Two, discouragement. Where does discouragement, where does it lie? Where's the seeds? In this case, it was comparison. They began to compare. And discouragement, as the older generation began to say, oh, this is not like it used to be. It's not like it used to be. And as they began to say that, the heart went out of the people who were at work. And physically speaking, it was true. Foundation had already been laid in the temple, and the older ones were going by and said, this, this, this doesn't even compare. This structure will never be what the old structure was. And it's rightfully so. They came back with 18 million in gold. Solomon had billions. How could it compare? They were going to build this in a matter of months. Solomon, with all his workers, took seven years. Is it true? Well, physically speaking, sure it was. It can't compare. And the enthusiasm went out of them and they stopped again. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever experienced something great in your life spiritually? Maybe you went to a concert. Maybe you went to a conference. Maybe it was a church service. Maybe it was a devotional times, a study, a camp meeting, where you were greatly inspired for the building of God's kingdom. And then a couple of weeks, and you thought it would last you a lifetime. The two weeks later, what is it about the two-week thing? Or the three-week thing? 
for the four-week thing. You were so full of zeal. And then a few weeks later, you got your eyes on some problems. Maybe the lack. You started to compare and you quit. So Haggai brings a message designed to deal decisively with discouragement. He has a two-part solution. This is the pastoral part. Two-part solution. One part deals with the immediate problem. The second part is the long-range resolution. Let's start with the first. So they were discouraged. So he comes. Here's the immediate solution. Be strong, be strong, be strong. (laughs) Easier said than done. Be strong, be strong, be strong. What he's saying You people need to encourage yourself right now today in the Lord. Start reciting who God is. Start recounting his goodness. Remember who he is. You begin to recite his goodness. Remember his faithfulness. Right now, be strong. Be strong. Speak to yourself in the things of the Lord. Don't forget his promises. Begin to sing to him a new song right now. The question, what is it that maybe you do to rise again? What will it take to rise again in strength? I know last week when we gathered the volunteers here before the service began, I just asked all the volunteers, I had asked everyone, not one would be exempt, I want you to share one attribute of the Lord, one attribute, and why you share that that attribute is important to you. And one after, and you know, I was being lifted up. Attribute after, he's my rock. He is my faithful one. He is my comforter. And they began to go, and each one is something, and they said they had to share why they picked it. He's my comforter because, and they shared why. He is this because, and in the process, why did we do it? Because we were encouraging ourselves in the Lord so we would be strong in the service of the Lord because it's so easy when you serve others to start to compare. And if I'm going to remain strong, i got to stop doing that. I, if I'm going to remain strong, i got to encourage myself in the Lord. And so this was the call. Encourage your, be strong, he said. So this past Tuesday, I was on a Zoom meeting. I meet every Tuesday with a number of pastors across uh, Ontario. And it came to the part we were closing our Zoom. And this one pastor, a lady pastor, uh, she was closing our time. And she says, you know, I want, I, want to, I want to encourage you. She says, I'm going to encourage you in the word of the Lord. Of course, I was all ears. Ephesians chapter 1, she took me there. I'm going to take you there this morning. Why not? This will be great. Ephesians chapter 1, she took us all there. She took us to verse 17. And here she began to speak this over us. And she asked us to do one thing. This is a Zoom full of ministers. She asked us, would you just take your hands and would you just hold them to the Lord? Receive this. Receive it. So I'm going to ask you this morning, would you do that? Just go ahead. Just take your hands. And let's just receive it. And I'm going to speak about it. You're going to see it in front of you. Just receive this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. Let's continue. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. There it is. Be strong. Strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If you see that, say amen. Be strong, he says. Be strong, he says. Encourage yourself. Right now, he says, you're discouraged. Today, before you leave this place, encourage yourself in the Lord. Just that alone, I believe, will encourage you in the Lord. That was the immediate thing Haggai said, but he had a secondary one. The other key to overcoming discouragement is for the builders to know that they are building for the day when God will so fill this house with glory that it will surpass the glory of Solomon's temple. 
Now, would that be true? Because Solomon's temple, I mean, it was glorious. How could it ever be true? Solomon's temple, if you remember the story of Solomon's temple, hundreds of thousands of animals had been killed and sacrificed. And when the day of dedication came, the Bible says the glory came down like a fog. And the priests had to step back outside the building. So, And this is what the people were saying. How can the glory be better? They were looking at the dimensions of the new temple. How can the glory be better? You know how the glory was better? <laughs> you see, Solomon's temple never had the king of the lion of the tribe of Judah in human flesh walk into it. Never had the amen, the beginning from the end. Never had the faithful one. Never had the rock of the world. Never had him who shakes all nations. Never had him who holds the universe in his hands, the Bible says. Never had him who stretched out the universe at creation. Never had him. Solomon's temple never had him walk into it. But Herod's temple did. And so Haggai prophesies. He says, the, the temple that you're building is going to be greater glory than Solomon's. And the people just said, I don't get it. What were they doing? They were looking at the dimensions but they had not any inclinations that the Son of God would walk into that temple and all the glory of creation beginning and creation to come would be at the disposal of that temple. Now, can I take it one step further? Because that temple was destroyed. Herod's temple was destroyed 70 AD. But where is the temple today? If you're a believer in Jesus, there's the temple. And the prophecy is for today, greater glory, greater glory, than was in Solomon's temple. Yes, the glory came down in a fog. That was a pretty powerful moment, but it has no comparison. Yes, Jesus walked in in bodily, humanly form to the temple back here 2,000 years ago, Herod's temple, and that's pretty amazing. But is it any comparison when he says, greater works will you do in my name? Greater works will you do? Greater is he that's in you, and I will pour my spirit upon you. I will breathe upon you, and you will go and do greater things in my name. All the glory of heaven is in you, Emmanuel, God with us, in you, greater glory. So what Haggai was saying, let's encourage yourself, Lord, be strong, be strong, be strong, but don't forget, don't forget greater glory, greater glory is coming. Stop comparing yourself to people who say, well, if we just had the miracles of Moses' day, greater works are in our day, resident in you. So he said, be encouraged, be strong. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, not by my, nor by power, but finish it, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it's not the dimensions of this. Quit looking around, quit. Realize his temple is strong. Keep his temple strong. So they were disinterested. They said, now's not the time. We're struggling right now. No, I'm, I, I can't do it now. I can't, I can't build the kingdom now. Maybe one day. Mm. Be careful. Take a look at your ways. Take a look at your ways. Secondly, um, discouraged. It's, it's not like it used to be. Where, where's his glory? Oh, but the glory is here. It's resonant in his spirit. We're saying, you are welcome in this place, Holy Spirit. You are welcome in this place, Holy Spirit. Thirdly was dissatisfaction. Now that the people were back building the place of worship, they expected immediate reversal of all the years of neglect. And God was saying, and I put these notes up for you, God was saying, do not expect the work of three months to undo the neglect of 16 years. Verse 19, he says, but from this day forward, I will bless you. Haggai chapter 2, we pick it up. Verse 19. I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevine, your fig trees, your pomegranates, your olive trees have not yet produced their crops. Did you see the early part of verse 19? I give you a promise. While the seed is still in the barn, he says, I promise. You can't see the promise. You can't see it. The seed is in the barn. Here, here's the question. I grew up on a farm, so I so visualize this. The seed in the barn. Where is the life? You look at the seed and it looks like there's nothing there. It'd be so easy as for to use the seed to beat it down and to eat it now. There's life in the seed, though. There's life in that seed. It's waiting for something to happen. Is that not true? The barns have seed. 
So he is saying, he's calling them. He says, I've given you a promise. While the seed is still in the barn, you can't see it. Still in seed form. You have not yet harvested your grain. Your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees. You've not yet done it. He would even say, when Jesus was asked regarding what is the prayer, and he would say, pray the Lord of the harvest. What was his prayer? He didn't say pray the Lord of the harvest for people to be saved. He didn't say pray the Lord of the harvest for many to keep people to come into salvation. He didn't pray, pray the Lord of the harvest that there would be great deliverance. What was his prayer? Pray the Lord of the harvest that would send out laborers. Because the seed has no value if it can't get into the ground. Uh, you see that? See, there's no value in the barn. Life is in the seed, and God's miracle is in the ground. But Wayne, you take the seed and place it in the ground. You, put your name there. You, you go, pray the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers, servers, people who will get involved, roll up their sleeve. The temple's not going to build itself. Could God build the temple himself? Of course he could. But he says, you build the temple. You build the temple, and the nations will come to me. The seed is in you, the gift. We're all a bunch of seeds. Again, my visual mind, I see a bunch of seeds here. Good-looking seeds, by the way. You're a bunch of seeds. But you got to take, and I'm going to suggest the seed is God's promise, God's word. You take his promise. You don't see anything, small seed. But you plant it into service. Kingdom building, not just yourself, not just looking after, and one day you'll get back. You start planting it today for kingdom service. Take the seed and start planting it. And then he says, he closes by saying in verse uh, 19, he says, you do that. He says, but from this day onward, I will bless you. Right now. He says, you take that seed, start planting, and I'll bless that. You take the seed, start, and that day it starts growing. Quit, quit looking back. You're dissatisfied. You want to keep... You think it's just going to turn around? No, it's not going to turn around that way. This day onward, as you take the seed from the barn and plant it into God's miraculous soil of investing in people, service, kingdom building, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.